0: Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, You cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, And you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The story of Moses is such an interesting story. If you track back through this whole life of Moses, it's really, really interesting. And you remember, it begins with him being born to Hebrew parents, in a time when Pharaoh had decided that the firstborn males of the Hebrews should be killed. And so he ends up in this reed basket, remember, and he ends up with uh, the Pharaoh's daughter finding him, and then surprise of surprises, his own mother becomes the wet nurse to Moses in the household of Pharaoh. But here's the thing, we don't know from there How long his mother is with him till he's weaned or till he's a grown man? We don't know. We don't know. Did somebody ever say to him, you know, Moses, you're not really Egyptian at all? We don't know. And and it must be that he, living in the house of Pharaoh, must have worshipped the Egyptian gods. I can't see any way around it if he was living in the courts of Pharaoh that he wouldn't have known and worshipped the Egyptian gods. And then you'll remember as a grown man, he sees a Hebrew slave being abused by an Egyptian, kills the Egyptian and has to flee to the middle of nowhere. From, From the courts of Pharaoh out into the middle of nowhere. And he marries a woman who is a Midianite and her father is a Midianite priest. And they have household gods. I can't imagine that Moses didn't somehow uh, worship the gods of the Midianites if he's living with his wife and his father-in-law in in the middle of nowhere. Now, supposedly, uh, the Midianites maybe included Yahweh among all their gods, but certainly they were pagan in their understanding. But then Moses out there tending the sheep, you'll remember, there's this burning bush. And he says, okay, tell me your name. Because he's trying to figure out, he's, he's heard of all these gods over all these years. And he's like, which one are you? Because you see, in the ancient world, in in these uh, pantheons of gods, they all had a purpose, they did a particular thing, and if you knew the name of the god, you could control it. Which god are you, he asks that bush. And the answer, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am the god that you cannot control. I am the God who is always beyond what you can know. Well, then we know the story. Moses gets sent back to free the Hebrew people. Moses does all these signs and wonders to Pharaoh. Moses parts the Red Sea and they all walk through it. Moses in the wilderness sees manna and all kinds of things that water from the rock that God is doing. Moses in the wilderness keeps going up the mountain talking to God and God will give him the Ten Commandments and Moses goes into the tent to the meeting to meet with God and have a little powwow. You know, constantly, Moses has experience after experience after experience of the living God. And Yet here in chapter 30, 33, he says, Please show me your glory. Moses, for all the times he has come face to face, encountered the living God... It's never enough. All these times he's experienced God, and here he is saying, God, please show me your glory. Now, this word in Hebrew for glory, kavod, is really hard to translate because essentially it's saying, show me glory your majesty. Show me what's worthy of our worship and our honoring. Show me your nature. Show me the fullness of who you are, God. And of course, God says basically the same thing as was said at the burning bush. I'm going to show compassion on who I'll show compassion. I'll show mercy to who I will show mercy. I will be who I will be. And I'm sorry, Moses, you cannot control me. You see, one of the real uh, problems of our human lives is that human beings always really want to control God. We always want to say, God, here's what I need. God, here's what I want you to do. And then we're mad when God doesn't do it. And yet God has always been saying, I will do what I will do. I will be what I will be. I am who I am. And you cannot control the living God. This is always the human problem, just like Moses, who's had all these experiences of God and is still saying, please, I want to see you, God, It reminds me then of John Wesley, this great man who is the one who founded the Methodist tradition. Uh, He never meant to uh, start a church. It was just a renewal movement. But if you look at the, the, the fruit he has spawned over these many centuries, it's amazing. And John Wesley had this thing that happened to him called the Aldersgate Experience. Now, For generations, people are told, oh, well, it's his conversion experience. But that is not at all the case. So I'm here to disavow you of that notion if that's what you've held. Because you see, Wesley grew up in a very faithful household. Wesley was always seeking after the living God, but the only way he knew how to do so was through his thinking. So he learned about the faith, and he said, I believe in you, Jesus. I want to follow you. He thought again and again about what it meant to follow God. This is a man who was so highly intelligent, he would work through the beliefs he'd been taught and decide which ones made sense and which ones didn't. He could translate the Bible out of the original languages. But the God he knew and followed was a God he only knew in his head. And so on May 24th, 1738, well, Wednesday night, Wesley went to basically like uh, Wednesday night study, right? There was a religious group that was meeting down there on Aldersgate Street. And Wesley says, you know what? I, I didn't really feel like going at all. He says he went reluctantly. Now, none of us have ever gone reluctantly to church or Sunday school or anything else, but thank goodness he did get himself up and he went. And he's listening. Now, there's a man up there reading from a book. And the book is Martin Luther's commentary on Paul's letter to the Romans. Sounds really great stuff. I can tell you most commentaries are like not that exciting. And worse than that, the man isn't even reading from the good parts, he's reading the preface, which is just some sort of fancy theological statement. You can Google it and actually read it for yourself. And it does nothing for me, but somehow when Wesley was hearing the words of the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on Paul's letter to the Romans, his heart was strangely warmed. He was a strange man. But here's the thing. Wesley's brother a few days earlier, Charles, had had an experience of God, and Wesley was longing to see the glory of God in his own life. He was open, he was yearning, and God reached him in a new way. Wesley's head now reached his heart, and he had an experience of the living God in his life. And that experience would change the way he understood the faith, that faith was both the head and the heart. And in fact, one of the key pieces of Wesley's Methodist movement is the idea of experience. We have to experience the living God in our own lives. Show me your glory, Wesley was crying out. But here's the thing, maybe six months later, John Wesley writes in his journal, yeah, I don't know, I'm not sure about this whole God thing after all. You see, that experience, as powerful as it was, as much as we remember it, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to hold him in the fullness of God for the rest of his life, and Wesley would spend his life searching for God. He never got stuck in any place. And he would even say, you know what? There's a more excellent way if we'll just stay on this journey and keep searching after God. You see, people of God, If we look back at the Bible, if we look back at these great figures in history, we find that they are never satisfied with what they know of God, with what they see about God. And that should be true for you and I who are trying to follow Jesus today. But sometimes we are just like the ancient people who want to control God and use God for our benefit. So we put God in a box of our beliefs and we put God in a box of our experiences and we rule everybody else out of the box because... This is comfortable and safe for us. But Moses and John Wesley were always pushing outside of the box and saying, show me your glory, God. Show me more of you. What I know of you is not enough. I know there's more. Show me, oh God. I want to know your glory. That is our journey. And you know, sometimes People will look at Moses' story and say, what a sad ending to the story. Because as we know, Moses, he gets to see over into the promised land. But he dies, never entering it. But I say, no, no. Moses entered the promised land. Moses stepped from this veil where we see in part he crossed over to the promised land to see God's glory, to see the fullness of God, to experience God face to face. John Wesley crossed over from this world to see the glory of God face to face in every one of us who continues to seek after the living God Day after day, we'll cross over to see God face to face, and we will no longer need to cry out, show me your glory, because our, our faces, our, our whole being will be one to one with the living God. This is our calling and our journey. And yes, like Moses in this lifetime, we will only see a glimpse of the back of God passing by in a person that we see or in nature or in something that happens to us and it'll move us deeply and then we'll be like, well, that's not enough. Show me your glory. You see, our everyday prayer, our everyday calling is simply to cry out to God, show me your glory. Remind me who you are. Remind me who I'm not. Keep me on this journey so that I might cross into the promised land someday in the future. This people of God, is Moses' cry, it's ours. Show me your glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.